Thank you for listening to the following sermon from Pine Grove Community Church in Rylander, Wisconsin. For more information, please visit us at pinegrove-wi.com. We hope you enjoy the sermon. When I was a kid, I had two very different kinds of ants. One was very generous and permissive and invited us over for weekend sleepovers and camping and all kinds of stuff. She was a lot of fun. And then I had another kind of aunt that I always thought was watching to see when I would do something wrong and then tell my mom when I did it. I remember one time saying, shoot, and she thought I said, and I got tattled on. One of the applications I hope you'll see this morning is that God is like in his nature towards you very generous and kind and gentle and gracious and not at all like a nitpicky ant waiting to tattle on you. And yet there are times in our lives in Christ where we can kind of return back to bondage, return back to slavery thinking we haven't done enough, we've done too much, and if only I do this, 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 and then I'll turn back into God's good favor. And so we get all bound up. Maybe it's for you, it's beginning of February, the winter blahs are upon you, you're just feeling a little sluggish, useless, can't get going, kind of down, and you take that very spiritually serious and wonder what you're doing wrong. And I got to do this, and I got to get this, and I, I got to get back on it. You think God's displeased with you. That's why you're so blah. And so you have this view of God as severe, short with you, not kind, not gentle. Just think through the Bible. Did God create Adam and Eve first and then say, if you do these things, I'll create you a world filled with everything you could ever need? Or did he create a world filled everything they could ever need, give it all to them, and then set them in it before they'd done anything. The pagan God with Abraham, though he lived in a pagan place with a pagan father and idol worshiper, not being anything, did he come to Abraham and say, hey, if you do these things, I'll give you incredible promises. Or did God just come and give him incredible promises? Which is our God. What is he like? I say that because in Galatians 3, 1 to 5, we meet questions that are of the sort that aren't asked because the answer is in doubt, but to show you how stupid you are. You ever have somebody ask you a question like that? And it's meant kindly. Now, kids, when I use the word stupid, I don't mean what you mean when you call your sibling stupid. I don't mean it lightly. The word here is foolish twice in these verses. Foolish here has to do with a, so, a, a moral stupidity, a moral dullness that you do something that's so outlandish that the only term for you is like you have lost your mind. You're just so spiritually dark that you don't get it at all. That's how the Bible uses the word foolish and stupid. It's a, it's a right word used in a right way for good purposes. And Paul uses it here twice. And don't forget, this word foolish is a, is a four-letter word in the Bible. Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, 
If, if you say you fool, you're in danger of the fires of hell. It's not a cheap word in the Bible. It's not a cheap word. And so what I want to, us to see is we see the hard questions that are given rapid fire five in a row to show how morally depraved they've become in their understanding of the nature of God and the gospel that they're given to return them to a view of God as kind and not a God as severe and harsh. A nitpicky ant. That's the whole point of them. So, they're meant to cause you to examine yourself. We're going to take the Lord's Supper. Paul urges us in 1 Corinthians 11 to examine ourselves before, to examine how we are relating to God and each other. And so to deal with ourselves, confess our sins in preparation for coming. And so these questions I hope will be helpful to you in that. So enough about it. Let me read them. And then we're going to walk through these questions briefly before we apply it as far as like living wisely and then just seeing the gospel as sons or slaves. So let's read. I'm going to read one to nine, but we're going to look at mainly one to five. Oh, foolish. Oh, stupid Galatians. Who has bewitched you? It was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. Let me ask you only this. Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? Are you so foolish? Having begun by the spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Does he who supplies the spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of law or by hearing with faith? Just as Abraham believed God and was counted to him as righteousness. Know then that it is those of faith who are the sons of Abraham. And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham, saying, In you shall all nations be blessed. So then, those who are of faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Let's pray. God, you of infinite goodness and kindness, who generously gives wisdom to all without finding fault, your words are to be by us more desired than all kinds of riches and wealth and power and fame in the earth. And in keeping them, there is great reward. And so God, please send your spirit that the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts might be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right, so are we sons or are we slaves? Are we those who are accepted by God and welcomed to his table, all by his limitless grace, fully pleasing to him as his dear son? Or are we slaves kept in the slave quarters, fed little food, required everything of, and always treated without love and acceptance as a slave? Which one are we? We're sons, right? And yet we often live as slaves. And what Paul is doing with these questions is giving them one after another to sort of shock them to the reality that they've slipped back into slavery. They've moved from the sonship, the second story bedroom, the dining in the dining room. The questions are meant to say, why are you so stupid? You can, you can live in my house as my son. Why? And, and you think that living there is what I've given you in Christ? That's what these questions are for. So let's go through them. So he starts out, of course, oh foolish Galatians. We've already covered that. This, this, is, a, this is a big word, foolish. 
We, we don't use it like it's used in the Bible. It means somebody who has lost their moral sense of anything. It's somebody who thinks that right is left and left is right. It's our world. <laughs> somebody who looks at a male and calls her she. That would be who this word would be applied to. So Paul is calling these Christians in Galatia that kind of, they've lost that kind of sense. Who has bewitched you? Now, this is both very kind and very severe. They've been bewitched, but the people doing the bewitching are far more at fault. They're the sheep under attack and who are now following the wolves, but the wolves bear the greater guilt. But yet, they've been easily bewitched. If you remember back at the beginning in Galatians 1.6, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him. That is, somebody presents a little trinket in front of, trinket in front of their eyes and they <gasps> just run right after it. They're, they're so morally, easily persuaded of something different than Christ. Now, Paul sets right away, it was before your eyes that Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified. One of the main things you'll see in these first five verses is that Christians, our faith begins and is built up on the preaching of the gospel. This is what it means, publicly portrayed as Christ crucified. Who, who did the public portrayal of Christ crucified? Paul did. How? In the preaching. And that he described biblically faithful Christ crucified, that it was like it was painted in living color right there in front of them, in their mind's eye. That their faith was begun just on this simple message that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, as we say, came down from heaven and died on the cross to pay fully for their sins and bring them to God. That's who their faith is in. And so this is the contrast. We see it in verse 2. We see it in verse 5. Works the law or hearing with faith? Hearing with faith. Hearing what? Christ crucified. Responded to with what? Not works. Not cleaning yourself up. Not lengthening your skirt. Right? Not cutting your hair. Not burning all your CDs. But just, yes. That's it. And so it was before their eyes that Jesus Christ, it wasn't hidden it wasn't some secret knowledge. It wasn't in a back room with a secret handshake. Just public. Just as Jesus died on a cross in public, outside the city in public, and the gospels portrayed publicly. This isn't some secret sect. This is available to all. Christ crucified. That, that's the beginning. That's the middle. That's the end of our life. That's it. Jesus died. It's the sweetest thing you should ever, ever hear again and again and again. Jesus died for us to take away our sins. So, let me ask you only this. Isn't that something, that word only there? Parents, you do this to your kids, right? I got one thing to tell you. Ten things later. Right? I, my daughter Annie calls me on this all the time. I'll say, like, Annie will say, can I have, use my computer for a little bit? I'll say, yeah, but you got to do this. And then I'll remember one other, yeah, but... And then another, and she said, but you only said one thing. I go, yeah, I know. It's kind of like one thing altogether. So let me ask you only this, and then there's five. 
Did you receive the spirit of works of the law? Did you receive the spirit by works of the law or hearing with faith? So there's the contrast, right? Works of the law or hearing with faith. Which is it? When you heard in, of Jesus, just you, you, in your life, when you heard about what Jesus did, either growing up in a Christian home or maybe after living years in sin, whatever, when you heard the message of the gospel, what was required of you to enter in? How about this? Israel enslaved in Egypt. They have no hope of freedom. They live in misery, harsh taskmasters, and God comes to deliver them. Did God come to deliver them only after they cleaned themselves up and started keeping his rules and got rid of all their idols? And, or did God just deliver them? This is what's going on here. The answer is obvious. And it, Paul puts it this way so they can be ashamed. That they can be embarrassed. That yes, they began by faith and now they're turning back to that which Christ freed them from. They're going right back. They're a dog returning to their vomit. And Paul asks this question in such a way to help them see that they are like dogs returning to their vomit. In order that they might turn back to seeing God as gracious and kind and gentle and generous. Then again in verse 2, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? Now there's a second time we see the word Spirit. We'll see it a, a third time in chapter 5. Before this, in Galatians, the Holy Spirit has not been brought up once. The first time we'll see it is in Galatians 3, 2. And then after this, 17 more times in Galatians. So the Holy Spirit takes on the rest of the book, particularly when you get into how do we come to God and how do we continue to live in God. The emphasis is on by the Spirit of God and when did we receive the Spirit of God? Was it after we did a whole bunch of good stuff for Jesus? Or was it when you just heard of Jesus and believed in him? And the Spirit is the one that gives us life. The Spirit is the one who continues our life. So the Spirit is our salvation. He is the one who is actually affecting in our lives what Jesus did for us. We have nothing apart from the Spirit. So Paul is saying, like, did you receive the Spirit doing a whole bunch of stuff? Or just believing that Jesus died? And now, having received the Spirit just by believing Jesus died, are you now continuing on, growing in Christ in a totally different way? Have you lost it? How could you be so stupid? Why would you return back to Egypt, having been freed by grace? Why do you now think God's severe? Why do you think now God is harsh? Why do you now think God will be impressed by your little efforts? He sent his son to die. You've been given his Holy Spirit just by grace, not at all by your goodness. Verse 4, you've suffered for the gospel. Look back. At chapter 2, verses 11 to 14, one example of their suffering for the gospel. Peter stopped eating with them because they were Gentiles. The apostle Peter shamed them for their simple faith in Jesus. 
They suffered for the gospel. And now they're following those who caused them the shame. It's in vain, if indeed is in vain. So there's some hope there, right? There's some hope that Paul has that they'll go back to the simple gospel, to seeing God as merciful, to being sons and not slaves. And then verse 5 again. God supplied the Spirit and worked miracles, not by their works, but just by faith in hearing the gospel. Now, let me pause here. There were two things in these verses that I didn't like. The first is being asked questions like this. I do not like being asked questions when it's obvious that I'm wrong. It, it provokes my pride. It, I know I'm wrong. I will not endure that. And so if I'm honest with myself, I, if I were receiving this, I would not be excited. So are you like that? Are you proud? Husbands, you like your wives asking you obvious questions? Children, do you like it when dad or mom asks you questions where the answer is obvious? Do you know why they do that? To humble you. So humble yourself. The second thing I didn't like is that miracles were mentioned here. Why didn't I like that? Because I don't think miracles happen anymore. Isn't that awful for your pastor to say? I don't know what to do with that. Can God still work miracles? Yep. Does he work miracles only when we got our act together? Should Mark and Amber pray for healing of cancer? And is whether or not God provides healing dependent on how holy and perfect they are? Or just God's grace? What a burden we tie up on each other, don't we? Don't you do that? You subtly evaluate when others are in misery that they must be doing something wrong. Don't you do that? Aren't we very self-righteous? So I didn't like that word miracle there. But enough about me. Let's get back to you. So you see what's going on here. You see the contrast, right? And Paul is being such a good, wise father here with these questions. How many of you have read in the book of Proverbs recently? The book of Proverbs is a letter from a father to his child, specifically a son here. And in that rather long letter, it's always this or that, black or white, very punchy, bloody your nose when you read Proverbs. They stick to you though. They're very memorable. These questions here are meant like that. They're, they're, they're meant to wisely snap them awake to their danger because they're in real danger here. They're in serious danger. Turn with me uh, back a few books to Romans 15. 15, 13. Look at the wonderful, glorious view of God here. You there with me? Romans 15, 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. How do you get that? How do you get that joy, that freedom, that reassurance of God's acceptance? How do you see God as a God of all hope? How do you abound in hope? 
That's what's going on to the Galatians. They have this Romans 15, 13 sort of enjoyment of being in the household of God right there for them. And they're deciding that God is not like Romans 15, 13. God is a harsh taskmaster, requires more of me. I haven't done enough. I'm not Jewish enough. And so they're getting themselves back into bondage, thinking that they're going towards freedom. So, how do you see God? Parents, do you enjoy being severe to your children? Would you not rather just live in joy and hope and peace with them? Kids, how many of you think that your parents enjoy being severe with you? Do you know that your parents would like nothing more than to live in just happiness and peace and camaraderie and delight in you? So who do you see God as? And how do you get to Romans 15, 13? How do you get to seeing God as the God of all hope? How do you get to see God as the giver of peace and joy and abounding in hope by His Holy Spirit? How do you get there? That's what's going on here in these verses. Like wisdom literature, there's a road and there's a turn. Left is destruction, right is abounding in hope and joy and peace. But in your stupidity, you think left is the way. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its way is the way of death. Proverbs 14, 21. That's what the Galatians are doing. Because they're so smart, they're so proud, they're so intelligent. They know better than God. It can't just be a simple gospel that Jesus died. All they have to do is believe. There's got to be something to do. The Christianity can't be that easy. What about the law? God put all of this law in the Bible. Surely I have to keep some of it for God to love me. Paul, all you're doing is telling them that they can sin more and God will be more gracious. You're making Jesus a minister of sin. What's wrong with you? So if you go left, you get hope and joy and peace by keeping more laws, being a better person, being more moral. And Paul says, you're stupid to think like that. You've gotten spiritual dementia. You think up is down, right is left, male is female. You, you've lost all sense. So what is the way to Romans fifteen thirteen enjoyment of God? of God of all hope, a God of all mercy, a God of nothing but fatherly concern and care for you, a God who is preparing a heaven that you can't even imagine the pleasure, a God who created a whole world for you full of glory and beauty and food and relationship and gave it all to you. How do you get to see God like that? Is it by being a better person? Being a better daughter? Walking on eggshells constantly to do it just right. Dotting every I. Or is it just by believing in Jesus? <laughs> That's what's going on here. And so he asks them these hard questions because they took a way that seemed right to them, but its way is death. And Paul, being a good shepherd, sees them about to walk off the cliff and so calls them stupid and asks them very pointed questions that show them very plainly their foolishness in order to bring them back. 
So a couple other things as we're thinking of just wisdom. In Proverbs 18.17, we read that when you hear one side of the story, it seems right. Until what? You hear the other side. And so part of wisdom is just slowing down with making a judgment until you've heard the case, both sides. It's like the Bereans in Acts. Paul comes to them with a simple gospel of salvation by faith alone in Jesus. And they go back to the scriptures and look at it and go, yeah, that's right. And so these Galatians could have done that. They should have done that when these false teachers came and said, no, you can't eat this and say that God loves you. You can't continue to be uncircumcised and think that God will accept you. You've got to get yourself cleaned up before God will accept you. They should have paused and thought and talked to Paul and read the Bible and then gone, no, that's wrong. But they were very easily persuaded. Now, I say that because I'm going to slap you right now. You read the headlines in, on Fox News and immediately think that you know the entire story and then go talk about it as if you're the wisest of the wise conservative people in the universe. Conservatives are such dupes sometimes in this way. So don't be like that. Particularly, don't be like that when we're talking about the gospel. Second, look at chapter 4, verses 14 to 20. You have this history between Paul and the Galatians of incredible love. Uh, I'm sorry, sorry, verse 13. Paul was sick, and that's what brought him into Galatia. And they took real good care of him. And so Paul preached the gospel to them. Verse 14, their condition was a trial. They didn't scorn or despise Paul. They received him as an angel. And so they have the, this, this years of history with each other. Paul has bled for them. They've bled for Paul. And now they quickly are disloyal to him. You know what will spare you a lot of trouble? I'm talking to you younger people. If you would be loyal to your father and mother. If they would have been loyal to their church father, Paul, here, and hearing these other people talk negatively about Paul and presenting a gospel that's different than the one Paul, if they would have just been loyal to Paul, which is loyal to Paul's Savior, they would have spared themselves all kinds of misery. I say that because we, don't, we live in a world where loyalty is no longer considered anything good. It's actually a negative. For you to be loyal to your parents around your friends is to be thought a, a bumpkin, a, an idiot. And so loyalty would go a long way here in helping them. So in Galatians 3, 1 to 5, you have this wisdom kind of literature of asking these questions that show them their folly and that try to draw them back. And, and the issue, again, is just simply, how do we get to God? How do you go to heaven? How do you get forgiven of your sins? How do you become accepted? How do you get welcomed to the table? How is it? And put it in the form of this question, how do you view God? When, you, when we read Romans 15, 13, did that seem strange to you? That view of God. That view of God is so incredibly happy, generous, full of hope and joy and peace. Is that your view of Him? If not, why not? 
it's likely because you have a view of your salvation that is more about how you perform for him than about what Christ did for you. The law is in the place of Christ in your life. You probably relate to others like this. You, you don't feel you do enough. You don't. You think you've done too much wrong. You're always performing. You're always an actor on a stage. And your accolades is dependent on your performance. Why did Christ come to die? Did he die for nothing? Because if it's about your performance, and he died for no reason at all. And so the only way to know the God of all hope who fills us with all joy and peace and believing that we might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit is to know the God who sent his son to die for you, period. That's it. That's the freedom given here in Galatians. To be sons and not slaves. To be accepted and not on a treadmill. To know that heaven is your future and that there won't be a line where you've done it too often. That there is no law regarding your justification acceptance with God. There's no law at all. It's gone. The Ten Commandments is gone in relation to your acceptance with God. Because Jesus did it all. Do you believe that? You know, you, you don't believe it because you're afraid if you believe it, you'll maybe do one thing too wrong. Do you get what I'm saying? You won't let yourself believe it because you feel like if you believe it, you'll be hanging there in limbo wondering if I'll do it right. You're so stupid. It's just Christ. It's just Christ. It's just Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who came down, took all of your sin upon himself, died on the cross, rose from the dead, and then he gives you all of his righteousness. That's your only acceptance with God. Nothing else. Nothing else. Nothing else. That's it. You, we sing all the time the song, Christ Alone. But we live like that ain't true. It is Christ alone. That's why these questions are here. To examine yourself and put your hope fully and only in Jesus Christ. That's it. Okay? So, your sin doesn't matter in regards to your acceptance with God because Jesus died to forgive it all. Do you know that? Do you get that? It's gone. Were you to search for it, you couldn't find it. Because it's as far as the east is from the west, right? Do you get it? You can know this God of all mercy and help and consolation only if it's through looking at Jesus. All right? Let's pray. Father, help us here. Help us in the winter blahs. Help us in our pride and low-level unwillingness to put our hope fully in Christ because we just don't want to give ourselves permission to sin or to do it wrong. Or We look so much at the law, but we will not exercise the faith to look that hard at Jesus. And so God, help us. We are weak. We are very vulnerable. We are sheep. And we need your Holy Spirit to even now convince us of the freedom we have of your sons and to delight in it, to rejoice in it, 
to be like that first 60 degree spring day and feel completely free from the winter and the cold and the gray skies. And so God, do that in us now, in our hearts. Give us the freedom you have provided us as sons. We might see you as the God of all hope, as the God who gives us joy and peace and believing in your son, as the God who by the power of the Holy Spirit allows us to abound in hope. God, please give us that. We beg you and we thank you for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.